Hello, we're here today with uh, Bill Gamelli, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of William Ravis Real Estate Mortgage and Insurance Company. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Amy. Um, just a, a little bit about the company Bill works for. It's, uh, William Ravis Real Estate Mortgage and Insurance is the number one family-owned real estate company in the Northeast, and it ranks eighth in the United States according to Real Trends, which is a pretty significant um, status I, uh, in the real estate industry. Am I correct, Bill? Yes, absolutely. Um, this company, Bill's company, has 120 offices, 3,800 sales associates, and 400 employees. And uh, it's, a, it's a sizable organization, and um, it's also a very impressive success story as it was started by William Ravis, at who, and, and the, the growth of the company is, is, from what I understand, Bill, a pretty impressive story. Is that correct? Yeah, it started with Bill uh, operating by himself above uh, a grocery store next to an attorney's office in Fairfield, Connecticut. And from there, he's, he's grown this entire organization, and his sons are now uh, coming into uh, management of the company. Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's something. Um, and when did he start that? 1974. When? 1974. 74. Okay. And so you came on uh, board in 1987, and you, so you've grown with, along with the company, it sounds like. I have, and I've, and I've had a variety of different uh, positions, which has really uh, made it very engaging and exciting. Huh. What did you start out as in the organization? I was the executive vice president of finance, really okay. handled all of the accounting and finance for the company. Huh. Okay. And today, you are the executive vice president and chief operating officer. Yes. Um, one, of, one of the top people in the organization. And one of the things that I'm very impressed by in your organization is that you've been consistently ranked the best place to work by three very prestigious publications, um, Fox, Connecticut, Hearst, Connecticut, and the Boston Business Journal. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so what I'd like to talk to you today, about today, Bill, is you know, what, what has to happen to create an environment to, say, to be the best place to work, right? But more importantly, I want to talk about your journey as a leader in the organization and how that directly correlated to your commitment to your own personal growth and development as, as a human being. Mm -hmm. um, at, at the uh, Integrship Group, we strongly believe that self-mastery meaning learning more about oneself, overcoming, you know, your own personal demons and obstacles and kind of getting past your own stuff is directly related to uh, the leader's effectiveness and ability to lead others. What's your take on that? Oh, I, you know, I subscribe to that wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, when in my work, um, you know, if, if you don't address the personal side, um, regardless of how much you try to sort of keep that sequestered while you're in the work environment, it comes out in a variety of ways that you can't even control. So I really do believe that working on, on the personal is a critical component of a journey to become a good leader. And, and that for me was a huge turning point in my career. Hmm. 
Yeah, you, the company's undergone a lot of changes and gyrations over the years, from from what I understand from you. Mm-hmm. And um, I would imagine that that a lot of those big changes, and as well as some of the rapid growth that the company has experienced, really pulled on your own personal. Um, you know, personal demons, for lack of a better expression. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? Well, for me, uh, a lot of it had to do with life, uh, work-life balance. And I know a lot of executives and middle managers in particular, you know, as they are, um, you know, climbing the career ladder and, and looking to uh, improve themselves and, 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 you know, achieve their goals, they have a tendency to put it all into work. And, you know, there's a price that gets that you pay for that. And I think it isn't just about the the lost time with children or a spouse or family. I think it's also about the um, uh, habits that you get into, um, you know, as uh, as an individual. And so being able to sort of really understand the relationships that you have at home with your family and your friends and how to balance that with what you do at work is critical. And for me, that was really the starting point for me before I could really sort of move in the direction that I wanted to move in in my career, hmm. which is really sort of an about face of where I was as, 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 a, as a person and, and, and as a, an employee. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you kind of... Um, when you and I were talking about your your own personal journey, one of the things you said is, "I say things now I would have never said before." Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have kind of a, a a journey of finding your own courage and and really stepping up to the plate. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I think that um, a lot of of what I worked on was you know really understanding my self worth and. Um, and, and how to um, put me before everyone else. And I know that may sound a little selfish, but I do truly believe that when it comes to personal development, you have to at some point say, I have to be first. I'm, I'm the type of person and my personality is such that uh, you know, I'm, I'm the mediator. I want everybody to be happy. Um, I will put myself... Um, behind everybody else. Um, I will always be the last person that I address. It's always everybody else, whether it was at home or at work. And once I had the courage to stand up and say, I need to be first this time, it really sort of empowered me to speak up for myself and say, I deserve these things, which I was never willing to do before. And so I always put uh, the company and my family ahead of my own needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those were not good habits to get into because I feel as though it sort of stalled me for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like that old oxygen mask theory on the airplane, right? If, if, If the oxygen mask drops down, you put yours on first before you try to help somebody else. Is that... Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to remain healthy as an individual and as a leader, then you have to address what your own needs are too. 
mm-hmm. you have to take care of yourself, not only physically but also emotionally. Mm. And so you're saying, is what you're saying, when you started to take care of yourself and put your needs ahead, you know, knowing that you had to put that oxygen mask on first, that you you found your voice um, to to courageously speak up for was it for yourself was it for your team was it speak up in what ways I'm just I'm wondering. Well, I have a great personal example, and that was when I was uh, as you know I I went through several years of coaching, mm-hmm. uh, which was critical for my development, and uh, I'll never forget I had a conversation where I brought my family. Uh, my two girls and my wife to the table and I basically sat them down and I said, you know, I'm going through some personal development and I said, I just want you all to know that you might see changes in me and um, I I am trying to, um, you know, take care of myself as well as take care of all of you. And so, you know, they were all happy to hear that and everything. And probably about a month later, my wife came to me and she said to me that my older daughter had said, I'm not really sure I like the way daddy's changing because now daddy was focused on him uh, in some respect and not only them. And so, you know, it was that, it was that moment that I realized that, you know, you can change and it doesn't have to be bad for anyone it can just be a good kind of a change that sort of brings everybody forward mm-hmm. and that for me was a real turning point really understanding how important it was to have that balance mm. yeah yeah and i it's part of your balance too i just have to bring this up because you probably won't because you're pretty humble um you you also started to pursue things that were important to you outside of work um, mm. I know you've been president of your chapter of Habitat for Humanity for several years and have been involved mm-hmm. in those projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that was something that seemed to be part of your evolution is about getting involved in, in, in other things, other passionate interests outside of work or even of your family too. Do, do you think that contributed to your development? I, I definitely do because, you know, I was the type that, you know, it was work and it was family and that was it. I mean, I gave it my all. And I was very lucky that I was in a position with my company where, you know, I could get to those soccer games or baseball games and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I felt as though there was something missing. And, you know, I was very fortunate that, our, you know, our, our uh, president, you know, said to us, you know, we need to give back to the community as well. So he basically said to us, you know, you should be spending about 10% of your time, you know, in community service. And so I really took that to heart. Mm -hmm. And it was right at a point during my coaching and personal development that it really gave me gave me the opportunity to sort of express the things that I was interested in. Um, you know, I wasn't one of those kinds of fathers that, you know, played golf or, you know, hung out with the guys. I mean, I was either at work or I was with my girls. I mean, that was, that was my life. So, you know, my passion for affordable housing and giving back to the community was again, another turning point for me in my, both my personal development and also, you know, as part of my leadership skill development at work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know there's probably a lot of uh, leaders who will listen to this and managers that will listen to this. They go, oh, yeah, right, where do you get the time for that? 
where where do you get the time for your own development and to take care of your your own passions and and interests and things with the job you have it's it can be a challenge uh you know i do have a two-hour commute every day and i do have to say that those two hours for me uh really give me an opportunity to sort of set my day up and then to think about in retrospect what happened that day and sort of prepare myself for the next journey Mm -hmm. um you know, I don't think it's always about how much time you spend, but it's the quality of time. I know that sounds cliche, but I really do believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I believe that good quality time with the people that you need to spend time with is, is important. Yeah. And whether it's at a board meeting or a committee for Habitat or whether it's your kids or whether it's somebody, you know, at the office that needs your counsel or needs, you know, an ear, um, I think you make the time for the things that are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back on something you said earlier, you said you're a mediator. I, I'm assuming that you've you've determined that through um, so different uh, assessment instruments and, and personality indexes and things. Being a mediator, um, that that makes it tough to be the guy that has to speak up or the guy who has to to make things get a little messy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when you get into some of these complex human dynamics that go on in the workplace. How has your personal development contributed to you being able to jump beyond wanting everybody to be happy and everyone to like you to saying what needs to be said and getting done what needs to get done? Well, I think it's a, it's a couple of things. I, I think really exploring what it means to be a mediator. I think it's more than just wanting to keep everybody happy. I think mediators as a group have a tendency to take ownership of things that they shouldn't take ownership of. Uh-huh. And that was just natural. That was just my personality that, you know, I was going to go in there and fix it. So as a mediator, it isn't just about trying to get everybody to come to an agreement. It was about really taking ownership of things that I should never have taken ownership of. Mm. And once I recognized that, um, it became very clear to me very quickly that I had to live not taking ownership. Mm. And that was a huge shift for me. Uh, It really allowed me to have the time to spend on the things that were a priority and that I should own. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to your question about, you know, where do you have the time to do what you do? Because I have reprioritized what I spend my time on. Mm -hmm. And I don't take ownership of things that I shouldn't, nor do I take ownership of things that I have no control over. That is a fantastic point, and I think you are spot on when you say people who tend to be mediators um, fall into that trap. I, I call it taking responsibility for everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Great way to describe it. Yeah, and that, so, but so that, that to me sounds like you reprioritize, but in part of that reprioritization, long word, big words, um, <laughs> It's, uh, it, it shifted you into having to hold others accountable. It, was that the case? Very much so. Um, you know, really the delegation process, I've always struggled with being a good delegator. Uh, 
Mm. Uh, something I've really worked on uh, for quite a number of years. I think when you are able to let go of the things that you shouldn't own, then what you do is you put yourself in a place where you can now delegate and hold others accountable for what they're supposed to do as part of the team. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that gets a little messy. Right? It does. It gets messy. Um, it can lead to conflict. Um, it can lead to uh, resentment, uh, sometimes on the part of those that you work with or that work for you. Yeah. Um, and I never like to use the work, word or phrase work for you. I like to say I work with my, my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do firmly believe that you know, as I developed those interpersonal skills and I was able to affect change in my personal life, I was a different person. I was not the same person that I was eight years ago. And so what I found was that you lead by example. And, you know, people will emulate the good things that they see. And I really did find that to be part of my success in building a really good collaborative team who all get along very well together. And, you know, we don't have a culture here of, well, that's not my job. Because everybody truly is passionate about what they do. We all love each other, and we all really work together to make it happen. And I think that's part of the success of our company. Um, and, but again, I, I, I firmly believe that it takes a certain kind of leadership to get to that point. Mm. Yeah, and, it, and it's rare. I mean, because it's, what it sounds like you shifted into when you reprioritized things uh, was to be at the same time tough, you know, by, by holding people accountable to do what they're supposed to be doing, but also mm-hmm. very fair and compassionate. Because um, I know, I, you know, I know you have a lot of compassion for your team uh, members if they're going through something or if they really have a bona fide challenge. Um, that's a, you know, you talked about work-life balance earlier, which was, a, you know, a tough one to tackle. But that balance, being tough and fair and compassionate at the same time, how, how do you keep yourself on the straight and narrow in balancing that, you know, between how do you know when you're too tough or, or too lenient? Well, I think for me personally, it's, it's always been the latter, too lenient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm the type of person that will give somebody several chances, probably beyond what I should. Um, but again, I think part of the development as a leader is you sort of bring all that into balance. And I think there are too many, you know, leaders and managers out there today that are very quick to dismiss an employee or a team member um, and not really look at it from the standpoint of, you know, how do I bring this person to the next level? And I think when you've gone through it personally and you have worked really hard on getting to the different levels and you start seeing the rewards of that, I think you're much more inclined to want to give your team members the same opportunity that you had. And so I really do believe that if anybody is willing to get to that next level, they can develop to be an outstanding leader. And, you know, and, and I'm not talking about skill sets because, let's face it, there are some people that just don't have certain skill sets and they probably will never get to the place you want them to be. And it's that they're in the wrong position. But what can you do to sort of help them uh, recognize that and move on? Mm-hmm. But for those that are there that have the skill sets 
it's much more than that. It's all about the relationships and the support and the nurturing and the collaboration and all the things that you do. And there has to be an empathy and there has to be compassion. It cannot just be cut and dry. It's about work all the time. Hmm. I really do believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm start, it's interesting because I'm starting to read some articles and, and things. Every now and then you'll see them, right, in the business journals about um, how, uh, I remember one in particular I, I really liked, um, how narcissistic leaders tend to get better results. And, um, it, it, and also, you know, there's, there's, there's some evidence out there that the, the, the tough and probably not so fair leader um, can also excel. And I, it's refreshing to hear that you're, you and your organization, apparently, because of these, you know, these uh, mentions and being ranked as a great place to work consistently over and over again, um, it's refreshing to hear that that balance does work and that you can get fantastic results um, without you know, destroying people's souls along the way. But I, I also do feel, and I, you know, because I know you, Bill, and I know the, the work you've done and, um, you know, the commitment you've made to your own personal growth, I also feel that companies do not support the personal growth and development of their leaders um, nearly at all, really. It's something we just don't talk about. Yet, it's it's kind of like the elephant in the room because people will come in with certain behaviors or certain baggage, you know, whatever from their past or, or, or whatever, and and it affects everybody, right? It affects their teams. It affects their direct reports. It affects the organization. It, it affects everybody up and down the vertical because they have to deal with somebody who's dragging all this, this garbage through the door. What do you do in your team and at Ravis? to help people develop personally? Well, I'd like to say we do, and I do a lot more than I do. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes we lose sight of that, uh, especially if you've got a team that does work very well together, uh, that are cohesive and collaborative and passionate and, you know, really, really, I have to say, willing to fall on the sword because they all are like that. I think sometimes you've got to remember that you have to continue the journey. You have to continue to provide them with the resources that they need. Unfortunately, I, I don't think that there's a lot of really great, um, you know, courses or, or, or seminars or sessions that you can go to out there. I mean, they're all pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that coaching, individual coaching, is probably the most effective way to um, help um, a team member or a leader get to the place that he or she wants to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've experienced it. I've, you know, coached myself. I use coaching techniques in the way in which I work with my team, and I have found it to be just a tremendous tool. Mm-hmm. And, and so it isn't so much about sending them to a seminar or sending them to a training session. It's about what you do with them every single day. Mm. And I think that that is much more impactful uh, way to, to, to manage and to lead. It's an, and you've, you've brought in coaches to coach members of your team too, right? Yeah, I've actually have uh, one of my supervisors right now um, 
having uh, being coached right now and sort of helping her get to to the place that she needs to be. And so she's very open and willing to embrace it. In fact, they get excited about it. That's great. Yeah, and and a great example of when coaching is used in a non-punitive way, right? That you're actually using it to help develop people um, versus this person's got a problem, please fix them. You know, which we we as coaches always you know roll our eyes a little bit at that one because it's it's a, too little, too late. Do you do you find that because you have this is such a strong underpinning in your leadership style and with your team that you have a certain language or vernacular or way of being with one another that just assumes personal development is part of the game? I would say so. I think you know the way that you behave is is evidence of of the way you think, and you know one of the things that I have really learned to do well is to listen that to me is critical but more importantly it's about what you're not hearing it's not so much about what you hear but it's what you're not hearing and to me that has opened up dialogue with my team to allow me to enter into that place that sometimes they're not willing to go interesting Mm-hmm. Without revealing anybody's personal situation, do you have an example of that? Yes, I have an example of. I have several examples of that actually. Um, y- you know, we were noticing a performance issue with one of our uh, team members, and uh, this person was very um, curt and um, sort of uh, disrespecting staff uh, and. You know, no matter how many times I approached the subject and just showed some interest in trying to make sure that everything was okay and that there was nothing nothing major going on in her personal life, um, I, I never could really um, get her to open up about um, about anything. So, you know, one day um, I just asked a simple question, and the question was was so how was your weekend? And she didn't speak to me for a long, long time. And, you know, as you know, sometimes silence is golden. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't say anything. And it just came pouring out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it takes repeated attempts. Mm-hmm. But once the dialogue started, just the, the, the uh, process of listening and being there for them Mm-hmm. and holding things out for them and asking them questions that they may not ask themselves mm-hmm. sort of turn the whole situation around. Wow. And wow. a recognition and an awareness, um, uh, you know, of, of how you behave mm. and how you're perceived by others, more importantly. Yeah. Well, we're going to have you come back and, and talk in one of these days in, in one of our modules and at uh, Integra U about listening and leadership because I think it's something we just don't talk about enough that is such a, um, a high-end leadership competency, in my opinion. And, and the example you just gave is, is a great example of what can happen as a result of it. And, but it's also that listening. And I know, you know, um, Bill, your way of being is you, you are a very non-judgmental person, and you, you, you're not a highly critical person either. You'll, you'll work with people 
to recognize, you know, their shortcomings in a way that doesn't make shame them or blame them. And I think that, coupled with the listening you did and that example you gave us, and your, you know, your ability to to and to give a, a safe space for people to talk, uh, is one of the hallmarks of your your leadership, um, and and uh, certainly a byproduct of your own personal development to have the ability to do that. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I also think that we as leaders are trained to feel as though we always have to come up with the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the thing is, is we don't. We just have to ask the right questions. Mm. Mm. That's a million-dollar observation right there. Mm-hmm. In closing, we just have a minute left here, is there anything you'd like to add to this conversation before we end? Well, other than to thank you for the opportunity to discuss a topic that I'm very passionate about, but I, I do really believe that you know good leadership is about um, a commitment, not only from an individual but from a company. Mm-hmm. And I think that in order for it to be successful, it has to be a culture of the company. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of leaders out there today that feel as though they're sort of going up against the brick wall that they don't have the support from upper management. And my feeling is, is that you can only control what you have control over. And I believe that if you passionately believe in this type of leadership style, then you have to take it upon yourself to affect change with the people that you can affect most. And that from there you plant the seed to create awareness that this is a better way to manage and to interact with employees, and therefore it will catch on and eventually become a company-wide culture. I really do believe that. Mm, that's, and and that uh, kind of describes your own journey, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thanks so much, Bill, for um, all that you've shared with us today. This is, these are some great observations, and um, we wish you many successes uh, in, in the future with your, with your career and with your team and with Ravis. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks, Bill.